0: With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS FM. Good morning, Prince George. Neil Darby, Editor-in-Chief of the Prince George
1: Citizen. Happy to be with you this Thursday morning. Happy you're taking the time to tune in today. Plenty to talk about on the show. At the bottom of the hour, I'll chat with my good friend Derek Springall about his recent journey to be healthier, and his personal trainer, Liz Bennett, will also join us to offer some tips and some inspiration. Suddenly, I'm feeling very self-conscious about my dad body and the two cinnamon buns I had for dessert last night. Moving on, my first guest today... Our Tim Bennett, the chair of the School District 57 board and the board's new hire, Superintendent Anita Richardson. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Uh, My former citizen colleague, Jason Peters, who now works with the the school board, uh, with the school district, handling communications and community relations, uh, emailed me earlier this week, asked to provide some kind of general topics of what we were going to talk about, and I'll I'll read my response. Some budget reaction, teacher teacher shortages, Kelly Road update, French immersion popularity, graduation rates, uh, SOGI feed back teacher negotiation curriculum changes you know everything <laughs> um so much to talk about in education so let's get started um more of a political question so i'll start with you tim uh anything in the provincial budget this week made you happy made you sad
2: how is it going to affect parents and, and students yeah so the budget came out and it, it did kind of provide a few snapshots of what what education is going to look like uh the education budget actually doesn't come out to March fifteenth, so there's still a couple questions that we're trying to figure out between now and right. March fifteenth. Uh, we had a commitment from government as part of the budget that they'll continue to fund enrollment growth out, outside of what the budget is, uh, as well as uh, a commitment to fund whatever the collective agreement settlement is. Right. So those are good. Those are good news stories, and we need to ensure that government then is is living up to that commitment. Right. As part of the funding model review, which was announced a couple weeks ago, they identified some special purpose funds uh, that are going to be created. One to support youth mental health, and special um, needs, special right. needs youth, in, and youth and care. Based on what we're seeing from the budget, uh, we're seeing about a one point eight percent increase in education spending, which most will likely will ref- relate to the QP two uh, percent increase. Uh, we are we are assuming that those special purpose funds are just going to be repurposed funds, perhaps out of the block or out of from another special purpose fund. We really won't know that till March fifteenth. If those special purpose funds are new money, or maybe just reorganizing the pie a little bit differently. In other words,
1: the devil is in the details. Absolutely, <laughs> and which which we'll have to wait till the middle of March for that. So. Okay. Um, Anita, I chatted with Tim last month on the show. Uh, Last week I had Joanne Hapke from the Prince George District Teachers Association. Uh, We were talking about teacher shortages and now a Facebook post and I want to share it with folks uh, listening who maybe didn't see it who aren't on Facebook. Uh, The Facebook post read, School District 57 Prince George is seeking enthusiastic individuals to work as uncertified teachers teaching on call in the Prince George area which includes rural area schools at Newco Lake, Giscombe, Hickson, and Beaverly, applicants will preferably have some post-secondary education and related field, along with a variety of recent experiences working with either children or teens. I have a master's degree from UNBC, I have a bachelor of journalism from Carleton, I taught a couple of first-year courses at UNBC, am I
3: qualified? If you have a love for kids and want to get involved, you would be qualified.
1: Um, Yeah, me in a classroom (laughs) corrupting young minds, let's just stop right there.
3: I would say there's a whole lot else that goes on behind the scenes as well. Of course, we have all of the background checks and criminal record checks and all of those things to make sure kids are safe. But truly, that statement is a statement that we don't have enough teachers in our classrooms. Our teachers that are working right now are working overtime, coming to work when they're because they know there's no one to replace them if they want to be away from work or need to be away from work.
1: Right. And, of course, the word that jumped out at me was uncertified. Yeah.
3: Um, So really, in the language of our province, a certified teacher is somebody with a teaching degree that's gone and got their certification. The reality is, for a very long time, we've had teachers teaching in our schools who are not certified. In fact, I started my teaching career as an uncertified teacher teaching in a school in McBride. Right. Uh, and we have for a few years been hiring, you know, UNBC students who are working through their teaching degree before they graduate. So when they're done in April, they come on board and they work for us as as replacement teachers, as uh, TTUCs in our jurisdiction, which is teachers teaching on call as uncertified teachers.
1: Wow. I, I mean, on the other hand, what a valuable experience for those students, but it also speaks to desperate times. And certainly for you as as the senior administrator, having to fill these holes.
3: Absolutely. And really, um, you know, this was a conversation. We take this super seriously, of course. You know, our kids are our biggest asset and our most greatest concern. And so to sit down with our teachers association locally and have this conversation, are we at the point where we need to consider this? And the answer was yes. We're at that point right now in Prince George.
1: Um, obviously, I mean, the mention of, of everything from Beaverly to Newco Lake, we're talking rural schools, mm-hmm. uh, especially are feeling the brunt of, of that shortage, would you say?
3: I would say it's prolific across Prince George. Right. Not It's no longer just a rural schools issue. Right. Uh, we have It is not unheard of to start a day in a, a school, an elementary school with five teachers absent. For various reasons, and only two or three people coming in to replace the five right. that are absent. So it's a constant shuffle in the morning by the principal, vice principal, whoever's at hand, to figure out how you cover those classes. Uh,
1: before we went on the air, I told you that I grew up in Hay River, Northwest Territories, a town of three thousand. Uh, you know, uh, ninety miles, a hundred miles north of the Alberta border. Uh, when teachers were sick or were on leave, it was very difficult very small base of people you could draw on to help and so I, yeah. I certainly as as a youngster experience that of people coming into the classroom who are doing their best and but they are not certified teachers they're they're educated they're knowledgeable but yeah.
2: they're, they're they want to help out yeah. yeah and it is something that we are i think as a board have had to to really put a focus on and You know, I I can't give enough credit to our HR department for Mm -hmm. the work that they're doing. uh, With the Supreme, like if if we go back, we're a growing district, so that means more teachers. We are celebrating with a record number of teachers who are off on maternity leave. We have, uh, with the Supreme Court ruling decision, that meant we had to bring an additional 80 teachers into the district. Uh, Our HR team has recruited hundreds of teachers to Prince George and surrounding area and have invested significant money in as a board to hire HR staff to do this work. Um, It just comes down to right now, we we just don't have enough teachers um, coming into the district.
1: A good problem to have, right? I mean, if we dial back the clock 10 or 15 years when uh, Mayor Lynn Hall was in your seat as the chair of the school board and, right, uh, closing schools, declining enrollment, uh, this is a problem. But it seems
2: on the other side. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a flip. We actually we had an opportunity to see Mayor Lynn Hall last night and and made the kind of a similar joke of... uh, (laughs) You know, he was a he was a board chair who had to make difficult decisions. And uh, now I have the opportunity to be the board chair that's opening schools and um, kind of looking at the problem from the other lens where we right. know we're going to be three to five hundred secondary seats short, potentially uh, for twenty twenty three,
0: twenty twenty four. Mm-hmm.
2: Five hundred up to if, if the projections continue. Yeah.
1: That's that's a whole small high school. Right. My kids go
2: to Kelly Road. Yeah, um, that's that's a whole small high school, yeah, and that's that's why going back to the budget conversation, we hope that when we see that small increase in capital spending coming from the ministry, uh, that DP Todd is part of that capital plan because that will help address the shortage and uh, give us another amazing building in the middle of, of downtown Prince George. Right, right, for sure. Um, and, you know, you were born in Prince George,
1: so welcome home. Thanks. Um, but you've never lived here. You went to yeah. school in McBride, graduated yeah. from McBride, taught in McKenzie. So, you know this area pretty pretty well. Yeah. Um, what's from from your... But then you went to Alberta for a time. You mm-hmm. did some administrative roles there. Now <laughs> you're back. What's what's changed in education from when you were here uh, right when you were in Mackenzie to yeah. now coming back from Alberta. What, what do you see has changed?
3: Yeah, uh, you spoke about one thing that's changed, which, of course, before I left, we were working on the declining enrollment end of things. And that changes dynamics. It changes schools. It changes communities, especially in our rural areas where schools were closing um, and some places in the city, of course, as well. Um, but really about education, I think we are really moving in a great direction around getting to know kids as individuals and as learners and really working to meet the needs of every individual child and what that means kind of as a whole Um, and I don't think we looked at education like that for a long time. We were more teaching to the middle sort of Back in the day, you know, when I first came into teaching, it was about I'm teaching good stuff. Hopefully kids, you know, it sticks a little bit. And then we got smarter as educators. We're learning a lot more about what it means to learn, how we learn as humans and, um, paying attention to that research and moving forward our government has introduced a new curriculum obviously k to 12 since i've been away which was much anticipated before i left and, right. and moving us in a great direction as far as allowing kids to find their pathway to success and i think prince george is building on that and we'll continue to get better
1: it must be a challenge though is that i uh, i mean i i, I my own teenagers tell me, oh, things are different, things are different. And, and I always say, yes, they're different, but they're also the same. But I, obviously, from an education standpoint, I, I, I think, uh, and wow, this could devolve into a philosophical conversation really fast. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I guess it comes down to, uh, so let me maybe come at it from this angle. It seems that, at least from this parent's perspective, is that schools have sort of more and more... Gone into what used to be parental responsibility um, in terms of, of I guess the bigger picture education right when we mm-hmm. went to school it was okay you know the three R's and, and and all of that stuff and we'll get you set up so that you can start your life but the bigger picture sort of lifelong learning thing was mm-hmm. seemed to have gone to, was a parent's job and now these days it's like oh well the school's doing that yeah. I, I, like. I, I, that, that that's taking on a lot of responsibility. <laughs> I, I mean, is that just me? Or sorry that this has gone on to an interesting kind of philosophical thing. So I want to ask the two people, right, from both Tim, from both yeah. the chairing the school board and
2: Anita from an administrator,
1: like, how do you juggle this?
2: Yeah, I think I think you're starting to see that education is definitely taking on more of that, that role of providing beyond just you know your ABCs and one two threes. Right. Uh, we we as a system are really because I think we have the children in our system for a large portion of their waking hours. Um, the education system has really become that support network around creating that that whole child. Saying that, and this is my political statement: right. is education is funded to provide those. You know, ABCs, one, two, threes. Right. And if a system is going to continue to have that expectation of providing that additional support, those silos between health and MCFD and mental health and addictions and all these ministries need to come together. You mentioned youth and care, right? Youth and care. So I think, I think we need to start breaking down these silos. And then I think, I think schools are a great place to do this work. But then we need to make sure that we're funded accordingly to be able to do that work, right? And 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 I guess that
1: whole it takes a village, where it's mm-hmm. more like you say that that it's individual silos. It's actually schools working with parents as opposed to uh, and 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 that's okay that there's some duplication, yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. That I okay. So as a parent, I'm really excited about that, um, but then of course it can get challenging where um, for. And, I'm sorry to bring this up because... and But the reason I bring it up is because other people bring it up. Because mm-hmm. I hate that SOGI keeps coming up. Uh, to me, as far as I'm concerned, that's a settled issue. But for a lot of parents, right, and soji stands for Sexual Orientation, Gender Identity, right? And and schools are, are actually mandated by the province to provide this instruction, regardless of what, uh, mm-hmm. what parents want. And so, uh, you, know, you know, when you have... When you hear from parents, uh, both of you from a political and administrative standpoint, I mean, how, how do you kind of calm their fears and ignorance, mm-hmm. if I can use so strong a word, about that policy?
3: Right. Uh, and I would say my response as an educator is that knowledge is power. And so I would hope that we can get beyond what the content is to understanding larger societal issues and teaching kids how to think think for themselves. That's really the goal is right. to empower them with the knowledge so that then they can make life choices that they are confident in and I would say that just goes back to the whole village piece as well we're preparing kids for jobs we don't even know exist yet so the world has shifted since maybe you and I were in school where we probably could come up anyone with a bucket list of 10 things that we might want to do when we get out of high school or 15 and that would be pretty common across a lot of kids now that list isn't you know, limitless, and so we really need to focus on preparing kids to be creative problem solvers and thinkers.
2: Right. I also think there's a lot of misinformation out there around this, what people refer to as a Soji curriculum. Right. Um, Soji one two three is not a curriculum. It's it's resources available to help teach what is already in the curriculum. Right. Mm-hmm. And really around global citizenship and and being a decent human. Mm-hmm. Um, talks about human rights. Talks about you know who. And you know, again, being that global citizen, and there has been, especially leading up to the last trustee election, there was a lot of misinformation about what the Soji curriculum is apparently teaching in schools, and that's it's just not accurate. And I think if you have questions about what these resources are, uh, the Soji site off the ministry, a race bullying site, is a really good resource. Mm-hmm. Or talk to your te- talk to your students' teacher because they really are the ones who I think can can talk about what they're teaching. Um, and I think with any concern. You know, talk to talk to those directly involved, um, and again, knowledge is power, and you can get that knowledge directly from the source. Right, right. Uh,
1: I'm 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 so happy to hear that. That ties into uh, when Ted Clark, my colleague at the Citizen, interview you. You talked about, and you know, you talked about um, collaborative. Learning mm-hmm. and, and I do want you to expand upon that, but that little light over your head uh, tells me that nobody can see because this is a radio show that uh, we have to take a break. So I'll ask you about collaborative learning when we come right back.
0: Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: Before the break, we were I mentioned collaborative learning, which is something, Anita, that you brought up uh, in an interview with The Citizen's Ted Clark. Uh, what, what do you mean by collaborative learning?
3: Well, I I think a key idea is that the person doing the most talking or the most work is the person doing the most learning. And so, research is pretty strong around how humans learn. Um, Adults and students learn by communicating with each other. So, if you can explain something to someone else, you have a pretty good grasp on that understanding. And so, the idea or facets around collaborative learning is to bring all of those voices, all of those thoughts to the table so that you can improve your learning and understanding around a topic, an issue, a problem.
1: Right. Um, This is a 20-year-old example, but I I got to visit Sweden, uh, Southern Sweden, 20 years ago and actually got to tour. I was through a Rotary uh, visit and so I got to visit a few schools and I was with an educator who was stunned and somewhat horrified that in Sweden teachers students address teachers by their first names Mm -hmm. and and so and again when you said collaborative learning it made me think of that that idea that 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 students are actually that even though it's the adult is they're dealing with a peer who's helping them learn. Mm-hmm. And and so I don't know if that's also what you mean by collaborative learning. And that might be a really kind of foreign <laughs> concept to folks, but it seems to work in Sweden.
3: Yeah, I think there has been a shift as far as in a lot of cases, um, in many cases in classrooms where Teachers are no longer expected to be the person with all the answers. They are facilitating the learning for themselves and for others. Um, of course, they have more knowledge than the average person in a, a specific area. That's that's why they're there. But really, it's about getting to the center or the core of the problems and, and doing that together. So names for me, um, as long as they're said with respect, whether it's a first name or a last name, um, isn't such a... You know, a big deal. And in fact, we were just talking also about Nazdeo um, School here in Prince George, where, as part of a cultural uh, aspect, they use first names because that's the more acceptable or preferred
1: right.
2: choice. So, so we already have that in a school in Prince George. Mm-hmm. And how's that work? Uh, you know, I think Nazdeo is just such an incredible school. Uh, it, the learning that happens there, it it is really. You know, we use the term community school a lot in, in various ways, but Nasdeo is truly a community school where yeah. you have uh, you have parents, you have families, you have grandparents. Uh, it is really a, a bustling building where great learning is happening, and uh, with the with the lens of, of traditional learning and having the elders through the building on a on a daily basis mm-hmm. just creates even more opportunities for the kids throughout that building.
3: Yeah. If we go back to your village example of taking a whole village to raise a child, that you would see alive and well in Nazdeo every day. Right.
1: Um, and, you know, you have teenage sons. Uh, I have one son, yeah. Okay. you The one son, sorry. I, I must have misread the story or... Um, so so you're you're also going through uh well like i am as as parenting teenagers in high school going through that uh experience but then you're also um what's that like in terms of (laughs) that you're kind of going through you're seeing the education system through two lenses simultaneously
3: yeah and i I actually say I became a better educator when I became a parent. It, it kind of helped me see the world in a different way as far as, you know, being as passionate about the well-being of other people's children as much as I am about my own. But juggling the mom hat and the superintendent hat is, a, you know, an interesting dynamic. Thankfully, my kids are a little bit used to mom being known, you know, having worked in McKenzie for a long time. Right. They knew who I was. The community knew who I was. And and so they're kind of used to, to that a bit. But it is, um, it does create an interesting dynamic when your mom had you know, wants to engage on something, but your superintendent head says that this isn't the time or place, and right. and
2: yeah. Parent-teacher interviews must be a little. Easy. I, 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 a was little gonna, I was going to say bit. potentially awkward. Yeah,
3: yeah, <laughs> they can be awkward, and I think that's part of me just recognizing that they are or potentially awkward and, and making sure I have a relationship with the teachers which is what I hope all parents do' is get to know the teachers and hear what they right. have to say about your kids
1: right uh, and and uh, yeah and and just yeah and going through that that process uh, I only have a few uh, more minutes and I do want to touch upon on your Alberta uh, your time in Alberta mm-hmm. uh, Joanne of course brought up uh, course she brought up teacher wages yeah uh right uh wages are lower in bc than they are in alberta yep. and, and said that's part of the problem so if with wage i i I, I guess with recruiting on the on the wages, and like, so the conversation comes full circle here a little bit, uh, in terms of that recruitment piece is uh, in getting out of province folks coming to BC, uh, how, how do you go about doing that when you've got the province next door with no sales tax paying their teachers more?
3: Yeah, and I would say, let's not pretend everything's rosy in Alberta, but... It's across the country. There's a teacher shortage across our country. So the the reality is we're just having difficulty recruiting teachers because there's not a lot of teachers around. Is this
1: a, is this a baby boom thing? Is do we, ha, Have we had a big segment of teachers that are either retiring or in your retirement? And this, this is going to be a, a problem for the next five or 10 years as we work that out?
3: Yeah, there's a lot of factors. And I don't know, Tim might want to yeah. speak to it, too. But uh, I would say we're in a situation right now that's just been in the making for a while. So we the declining enrollments previously which was common across the province as well there and we didn't have the class size regulations that we currently have now under the Supreme Court ruling that happened recently so there was a stretch of time where fewer teachers were required so a response by universities is of course graduate fewer teachers Right. and so now with the Supreme Court ruling we suddenly require more teachers how many okay. we, hired 80 we hired
2: 80 in, in the first year yeah, 80s. Right. We needed 80. I think partly too, when there was a lack of jobs. Uh, my wife graduated from the UMBC teaching program right around that last big job action. Uh, she went back to teaching two years ago, but when she finished the program, she didn't teach. Uh, and I believe she said she's one of two people from her cohort who are actually teaching now. Yeah. So when there weren't jobs, we were graduating teachers who are now working in other professions. Yeah. Right. So if any one of those people are listening, <laughs> yeah. come, come on, back. Come on or, back. Or seeing the posting. Yeah. Please, yeah. please come back. We need yeah. you. We need you.
3: Yeah. And I would say to be speak more to Alberta or that context as well, we talk about wage discrepancy. Sure. I mean, it's it's documented. We know that wages are higher, particularly at starting wages as well for new teachers but there's other dynamics that we're not thinking about in that regard which is classroom composition you know the number of students in a classroom so it is Pretty common in the large urban centers in Alberta to have 40, 45 students in a classroom. In a classroom? In a classroom. So they may be making close to 20% more. Are we talking
1: elementary, high school, or
3: both? Both. Mostly high school if they're that large. But their kindergarten classes would be larger. Their elementary, early elementary would all be larger. and With a, less
2: prep time, I believe.
3: Uh, well, prep time... Yeah. We can talk about yeah. that separately. <laughs> there is prep time. It's just labeled differently, but probably a little less prep time. Um, but there's been some changes in Alberta to address that aspect recently. Um, but just the dynamics. They also don't have any um, structures around how many complicated students. How, you know, in BC, we have some clear uh, legislation around class size and composition. So, right. you know, teachers are walking into rather more chaotic classrooms across alberta in many cases
1: so so as you say the 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 wages might be better but the working conditions sound quite a bit more challenging
3: yeah and i wouldn't say that's across the board but it's pretty common
1: right and
3: allowable under their
1: legislation Right. right of course Thank you both for coming in. Uh, I, I always love talking education, and so uh, it was great having you both. Uh, Tim Bennett, the chair for the School District 57 School Board, and Anita Richardson, the brand-new superintendent. Uh, good luck, Anita. Thank you. And uh, welcome home. Uh, we'll take a short break, and we'll be right back.
0: This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFISFN. We're back,
1: it was great talking with Tim Bennett and Anita Richardson about education. So we're gonna talk a little bit about, um, I guess maybe education of a different sort in terms of just personal health and personal fitness so we have Liz Bennett who's a personal trainer here in Prince George welcome Liz and we have as one of her subjects clients a good friend of mine citizen colleague although not for much longer uh, Derek Springall who's leaving the citizen to go to plant center congratulations sir thank you but also congratulations on your big life change you've kind of taken on something here and so how
4: did this come about and how did you connect with Liz and what are you doing yeah well actually um I met Liz, oh, almost a year ago now, just and very informally and a a very quick encounter. But, uh, you know, I knew her reputation. She's very well respected in the community as a trainer. And uh, so um, I always thought that, you know, her her and I would work very well together. Um, But, you know, for personal reasons or whatever, it just didn't work. I didn't get a chance to reach out to her. And then, you know, some things changed in my life and I had a little more time to think about what i wanted to do and um, i actually reached out to liz and uh, we managed to work out a time and a a program that would work for both of us and it's honestly probably the best thing i've done for myself like you know if anybody's thinking of going down the fitness path or or hiring a trainer or anything i can't tell you enough how life-changing it is when you do it for the right reasons and uh, Liz has been instrumental in that, absolutely. So how long have you been doing this now and what are the results that you see? I think we started back about mid-November and so it wasn't some new year's resolution not at all not at all it was just time it was just time it was you know i was making some other changes in my life and it just fit in very nicely as far as results you know i've seen some weight loss not a ton but i'm totally good with that because i'm seeing a lot of other changes you know transformations in my body muscle development things like that liz was awesome she asked me before we started what are your goals uh, what do you want to see change about your body? And I told her, and she's been tailoring my workouts to that. And uh, she reminds me of that every time I text her to tell her how much I hurt. <laughs> she, she tells me, "This is what you wanted." Yep. And this, so you asked for it. You <laughs> asked for it. So um, yeah, it's it's been just awesome. Uh,
1: but but Liz, of course, yeah. I, I, I and uh, I mean I I'm even going to hinge on on what you call yourself a personal trainer it's not a fitness trainer it's not it's a personal trainer because what Derek is telling me is that this is actually a very it's a deeply personal experience definitely for whatever reasons you decide to make this lifestyle change and improve your health and so how do you plug into different people with different goals and needs
5: well I think something that has been really valuable for me is thinking about each person like what I want for them doesn't matter if it's not what they want for them and I think when I was like brand new in the fitness industry like eight or nine years ago I was really just wanted to challenge everybody and be really tough and now I'm like what do you want what do you need what is your desire what do you want to feel better in in your body and for me, I care way more about how does somebody feel, how does somebody function, how does somebody move, um, having more ease in daily life, like things like shoveling or going up the stairs um, and giving people the ability to really like connect more deeply with their body. And so it's not about me. It's all about them. Yeah.
1: So, So when you meet someone like Derek... Like, how how do you start? I mean, are you trying to get because what you're talking about, you, you need to get to know the person. It's not about, okay, welcome, okay, now pick up this weight and get to work.
5: Totally. Anybody can make a workout really challenging. Like that's not, I don't think that's a skill anymore. I think that anybody can kick somebody's butt and make them sweat and make them hurt. But I want to find their comfort zone and work an inch outside of it and build their confidence as we do so. Um, because then they're going to keep coming back and they're not going to feel terrible the next day. They're going to feel empowered and they're going to feel capable. And then we're going to keep challenging them and showing them that they're more and more capable. But it's a lot about asking questions and finding out what they need and what they want. And Maybe where they've been before, fitness-wise or health-wise, and so that because that's often a reference point for people. I was fit six years ago, or s- statements like that, or when I was 20. Um, but getting getting them to have realistic expectations for what they're creating now in their body and h- how that actually fits into their life. How much time are they willing to give to it? Is there are there things they're willing to let go of in their life, or how does this fit with their life and their routine? Right.
1: Yeah. Right. Derek, I've known you for 20 years, and and I know there's (laughs) been times where you've been incredibly fit and active and times that you haven't. Absolutely. And and what are you doing, I guess, this time to sort of stay on the right path, or is it far more, you know, you live life day to day, and that's the way I've got to approach this?
4: You know, that's... That's true to a point. I fi- I think this time around, I've never worked with a trainer before. I've always gone and done my own thing. And in the past, I will say, like, I again, when my goal was just weight loss, that number on the scale, I did just fine. I did, you know, I, I was a gym rat, as you know, and I worked out like crazy. Um, but I can say that since working with a trainer who can actually give you some direction and, and guidelines, I've been actually seeing way more results than I saw when I was doing it myself, even over a longer period of time, um, the results are just far more obvious now than they were, say, six years ago when I, you know, when I lived at the YMCA. Right. 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 And and is it
1: also that you having a trainer is that now you're accountable to someone
4: to a degree? Yeah. I mean, Liz doesn't take that approach where like, oh, you didn't do your homework this week. You know, you're in trouble. Um, But absolutely. Like you you feel like because you're paying somebody weekly, um, you feel like you don't want to waste that money. Like, you know, I'm not. Yes, we work out. But I'm not. I don't want to pay that money just to have one workout a week. I want to make sure that I'm, you know, I'm following through. I'm, I'm taking her advice. I'm being as active as as my time allows me, um, and working it into my current lifestyle rather than forcing it in and wedging it in. I think that's where you will find success is if you just make it work with what you have rather than trying to just force it in. Like, okay, I have to go to the gym for 90 minutes every day. Well, not everybody has 90 minutes every day, but. Maybe, maybe you make a point to walk for half hour a week or maybe you make a point to, uh, you know, improve your nutrition a little bit. Eat a little bit better. Just just make the small steps, work that into your life and see how that is And rather than just try to do it all at once and jump in and you're just setting yourself up for failure, which I've done many times. Well, but, so,
1: Derek, this does not explain your approval of my text to you last night when I was eating my two cinnamon buns.
4: (laughs) Well, (laughs) in a way it does, because you need to do what your body wants. And and sometimes your body wants a cinnamon bun, and that's okay. Uh, You know, if you had two cinnamon buns every night, that might be a problem. But occasionally... I mean, that's the approach that I didn't take years ago was that, like, I lived off salad and stir fries. I worked out every single day. I, you know, I went swimming every, every Monday. I did the gym seven days a week. I would walk every chance I got. Um, and, you know... <laughs> That didn't fit my lifestyle. I did it, and I was thrilled with the compliments I was getting and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it wasn't sustainable. And making the daily changes and just reevaluating all the time—well, what could I do differently here? Do is there room to do something differently here? And um, that, you know, that's why I think I'm seeing success this time around.
1: Liz just has a big
4: smile on her face, <laughs> just listening to you talk. And I'm going
1: to ask her why she's so happy about what you're saying right after this break.
0: You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM.
1: Before the break, Derek was talking about lifestyle changes and sustainability and, and not being hard on too hard on yourself. And, and, and Liz, you were smiling the whole time. <laughs> what was Derek saying that was making you so happy?
5: Well, I love that Derek... Derek's kind of adopted my philosophy around fitness now, and he's taking a different approach than he's ever taken and it's working in his life. I think a lot of the times people just live in the state of perpetual self-judgment when they make a choice that might not be healthy or miss the gym one day because life came up. Um, and so I'm really, really about, like... Allowing fitness or health to fit into your life and making micro changes and then building your confidence so we don't have to change our whole diet today we can add a vegetable to your life and do that on a regular basis and you're going to feel better and we don't have to change the whole world at once so. I I love that he actually talks that way now. He was in Vancouver out of town for work last week, and there were a couple times he texted like, oh, I ate something not as good today. And I'm like, that's totally okay. Did you move your body? And he's like, yeah, I walked way more steps than I usually do. And I was like, that's awesome. We don't have to have all of health figured out, but why don't we make little changes to fit it into our life more easily?
1: I was talking with my previous guest, Anita Richardson, who's spent a career in education and so in, in many ways you're also an educator, although in a different different field. But one of the things Anita talked about was the fact that, that the collaborative learning is that there's, there's an exchange of learning, right? Totally. That, that teachers don't have all the answers and they, they also learn from their students regardless of their age or where they're at. What do totally. you learn? Uh, and, and and you've mentioned that when you started your career, right? You kind of had the kick butt totally. programs and whatever. And ob- obviously, that's changed. So when when you meet when you start working with someone like Derek, like you're obviously looking to learn and improve yourself as well.
5: Totally, I think all my clients. It's a mutual contribution to each other. Like I think of all of them as a gift in some way. They're they're teaching me something. Um, I learn from how different movements work for them like a squat is a movement lots of people will come in and be like no I just can't squat my knees always hurt and so if we're looking at like a on a functional level teaching people how to move their bodies better um often a squat isn't going to be a problem if you adjust something in your feet or in your knees um or in how you place your hips so sometimes it's like a really kinesthetic that I learn from them or different ways to cue things or sometimes you'll ward a, cue, a cueing one way And it works for lots of people, but somebody else, it doesn't work at all. Um, But I think every one of my clients, the questions that they ask, like last week, Derek stumped me on something, and I was like, I haven't been asked that before. It's been nine years in the industry, and nobody's ever asked me that. And that makes me go back to my books, and that makes me reflect and learn. So I think that all of them have something to gift me um, in our exchanges, too. Right. Yeah.
1: Never too late to start, never too old to start. Totally. Never. It's not about weight or even your fitness level, level of activity
4: or inactivity. Totally. It's you can start wherever. Exactly. What was the question, Derek? Do you remember? Um, yeah, I actually do. I My <laughs> question was how come some muscle groups, you can actually feel them start to fatigue, whereas others just on you without any warning <laughs> right there you, you you're just going and then all of a sudden you you're, you're
1: done yes. like that's that was your last rep that's correct so yes. what's the answer?
5: Well, I should have known it, I think. <laughs> but how he worded it, it took me a sec. Um, but it's about the mind muscle connection. Like how how connected are you with that body part? The muscle that he felt like he was more aware of fatiguing was the bicep. And we use those in regular life in carrying groceries into the house. Even if you're not super fit, you usually activate your biceps by carrying things. Um, and the muscle that fatigued really quickly was his tricep. And he just hadn't we don't necessarily use that as much in daily life. And so he wasn't as connected to it.
1: He's flexing here as we're talking.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: Talk to me, Derek, a little bit about, I mean, you've seen the physical changes and well, all of your colleagues at at work have seen the physical changes have been complimentary. Uh, Talk to me about the mental changes, the emotional changes. uh, How has that been?
4: The physical changes are almost secondary actually to the mental changes um, I think just just it's a feeling of empowerment uh, as you as you gain strength as you gain you know as you lean out and you see yourself in the mirror a little bit differently and uh, you know it builds incrementally while you um, you know while you continue to work and it spills over into your daily life absolutely um, yeah I honestly like the mental changes are far more. Than I ever expected, and again, I think that comes in my case from working with a, a trainer that can, you know, help you reach your goals, help you, um, you know, tailor a program to your needs rather than just going to the gym, running on the treadmill, running on the stairmaster, you know, pushing some weights around without really knowing what you're doing. I mean, I'm certain lots of people do. I know people that are exercise frequently and have a great routine, and they've never worked with a trainer. They've done the research themselves. Uh, but for me, that wasn't the case. And working with the trainer just gives me the, the mental confidence that, yeah, I'm doing this right. I'm not wasting my time. Some, I'm getting something out of this. And uh, it, it makes you feel like a lot more successful.
1: Right. What about other changes? Are you, are you sleeping
4: better? Or do you find you're more focused and more energetic? Definitely sleeping better. Definitely more energy. Um, definitely uh, just mood, mood. It's a natural mood elevator exercises. And, like, I find myself, like... You know i used to sing all the time in the shower in the kitchen (laughs) while i'm cooking whatever and like i hadn't for years and now suddenly i'm doing that again without even noticing it um so like it's just a mood you know it's a mood elevator and not not just you know 10 minutes after the workout but like for a day even a, a weekend sometimes depending and um yeah it's been it's been huge huge.
1: Liz, do you find your role as a personal trainer is also part psychologist where you're <laughs> you're you're trying to identify right in the person's personality those those buttons that you need to push to help them be successful?
5: Totally. I think often finding their barriers, like when you've been successful before, what was different then than is now. Um, I sometimes joke that I feel like I'm a therapist, <laughs> um, but less so, I think. Um, I've taken some like uh, life coaching courses, and I think it's been really helpful in how to be a trainer because sometimes... Somebody will say, like, this is always my issue, and then actually addressing what that might be or what that barrier is. It's it's not
1: the issue, it's the underlying piece, right?
5: Totally, and it's what contributes to that or, um, like, what can you address or take away to shift that for somebody. Um, It really is huge. It's it's seldom actually the issue that's the issue. It's something way deeper than the issue, and if you can get to that piece, then people have way more success.
1: I, I want to talk with both of you about Right, the getting started, of course, is the hard part, and but it's staying on the path that is also uh, the ongoing challenge. And I want to ask both of you about that right after this break.
0: Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After Nine on ninety three point one CFIS. The SFM. toughest
1: part is starting, but the second hardest part is staying on it because you get comfortable. Um, so how? Liz, how are you going to keep Derek uh, going forward?
5: Well, I think when you start to see success, sometimes that's really exciting and you want to keep seeing it. Um, So continuing to give him variety in his workouts, I think, is something. Like, you've got to keep it fun for people. If I gave everybody the exact same workout week after week, they'd get bored pretty quick, I think. Um, So giving him variety, giving him, like, micro goals or little things to work towards um, that continue to build his confidence, I think, is going to be what continues it moving forward and I think we both created like we've created a relationship where we trust each other um, and we're really working towards accomplishing big things for him or the little victories Um, like he has a shoulder muscle now that he didn't used to have and he just sent me a text circling his shoulder what's, what's to say, this? watch this,
4: <laughs> look at this, this, that come from?
5: And, and giving him more of those and like building on the successes that we already have. So now I'm like this, when we do shoulder exercises, I'm like, we're going to grow that shoulder muscle that we're talking about. <laughs> um, but yeah, continuing to focus on the things that are successful um, and then giving more energy to the things that he wants to continue working on
1: long term where where do you want to go with this or 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 again is it more of just you know just keep just keep it going
4: well yeah ultimately it is just keep it going i mean long term obviously i mean i want to see my body change more i'm nowhere near where i want to be but i think um again to the mental side of it it's it's understanding that you're getting there don't be hard on yourself you're taking you know as long as you're taking two steps back and only or two steps forward and only one step back you're still moving forward and um, you know I want to take that approach and just have a healthier lifestyle and moving forward and and continue to improve because I mean there's always room for improvement I'm nowhere near as you know nowhere near where I should be as far as a healthy lifestyle but I've made I've made strides in that direction I, I continue to and uh, you know a year from now who knows I'll, you know
1: you've inspired me my friend I haven't been to the Y in almost a year mm-hmm. my membership lapsed in, in June but Realistically, I hadn't gone for probably about the previous three months. Yeah. So it's been almost a year for me. Uh, right. And I'm seeing all these, you know, sort of physical and, and mental changes in you. And I have to admit, you're inspiring me. I'm a morning workout person. Uh, what, what's the what's fit for you? When
4: Typically, well, uh, I see Liz every Friday morning, early 6 a.m. So six A. M. Six a.m. <laughs> okay, well
1: when I was going when I was
4: going regularly to the Y, I was usually yeah, there at about six, you were six going. fifteen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um so Basically, I get up at five. I have a quick shower. Hopefully, I don't have to shovel the driveway. But if I do, I do that before Liz comes. And then we have our hour or so workout. And I get ready and go to work during the week when I'm not with Liz. I just I basically work it in when I feel like it. Sometimes I can't get to it till the evening. Sometimes the mornings are just a little too rushed or whatever. Um, and I'm certainly not doing it every day. Uh, but I do try to. Work something into my day, even if I'm not doing an actual workout. Um, you know, this the past few months have been pretty easy because we've had to clear a lot of snow. Um, and sometimes we don't think of our day-to-day activities as exercise. It's just a job we have to do. But we have to remember, um, you know, we are still moving our bodies as we do that. And um, if you pay attention to while you're doing it and making sure you're doing it proper form and everything, it actually ends up being a very good workout and can be very beneficial
1: right right um liz for for people who are kind of thinking about this but you know are well everybody is worried about cost or these days i mean obviously there's you can have you you go to people's homes and work with them or they can come to you at at uh, at the gym um, what's, what's sort of the financial, uh, commitment here as well?
5: Oh, well, I think there's a range. Like, I think often people are scared to even ask. So personal trainer must
1: be so expensive, right?
5: Totally. But I think, um, I actually created an online group at the start of January for people who want to create greater health and maybe don't want. The cost of having a personal trainer every day uh, or once a week or whatever Um, so we have like that cost is like a $50 a month to be able to get coaching and have accountability and have other people who are working towards success and I did that largely because there's people who want to work with a trainer and um, want some guidance and want to be able to have a touch point and maybe don't want to or feel the need to have one-on-one once a week or something like that.
1: I I, I suspect that would be someone like me. I, I actually, what I enjoyed about going to the gym is that was me time. Yeah. It was me time in my head and it was it was just that time for my own sort of internal dialogue where I wasn't thinking about work, I wasn't thinking about family. I was just sort of in that moment uh, whether they were playing a song I hadn't heard in a while or yeah. or I was I was sort of doing something that it was like wow, I hadn't done that amount of weight before, I hadn't sort of mm-hmm. or or this is getting easier and that, that feels good. Yeah. Um, so 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 even though for someone like me who who prefers the more solitary experience at, yeah. at the gym, you're still there to help.
5: Totally. And and so sometimes I'll give a workout that I'm like, try this workout sometime this week. Sometimes I'll give daily challenges or weekly challenges, but then they have workouts that they can use and they can do them on their own or in their homes or in gyms because some people don't want to have gym memberships so I give a lot of options for this is how you can modify using a coffee table or your couch. I think fitness needs to be accessible for, accessible for people and my goal is to make it work for them. So that's why I go to some people in their houses. Uh, some people are intimidated by a gym or don't have a vehicle and so I just try to make it as accessible as possible. Also sometimes doing like people think they have to do it weekly you don't have to do it weekly i have some people who come twice a month i also have people who do once a month and i give them a workout for that month they'll do that for the month and then come back the next month and have a session and get a program again
1: right so so it really can be tailored to the individual totally uh which again segues into the previous discussion with with anita richardson talking about right that right school experience before was okay this we want you to fit through the square peg here regardless and here this is much more totally tailored for the individual, much like our school experience. Totally, Th- that's 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 excellent. I I I think that is is inspiring for people who want to get active, but like you say, find the gym intimidating or personal trainers come to my house. I I, <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't know that until Derek yeah. was telling me. I to, didn't
4: know until Liz offered
1: that as a service. So so that's I, I mean that's amazing for people who who uh, you know want to be more active but uh, yeah the gym is just uh, uh, just puts them off. We are out of time. Thank you, Derek and Liz. I've had Derek Springall and Liz Bennett talking about personal health and, and fitness. I also want to thank Tim Bennett and Anina Richardson from the school district for being on for the first half of the show talking about education. I'm Neil Godbu, the editor-in-chief of the Prince George Citizen. Paper's out today, lots of good stuff in it, and uh, I'll talk to you again in seven days.